how's the commute these days? <laughs> the commute is so much better. <laughs> Working downtown has its advantages, uh, mainly the, the GO train. Right. Uh, my wife says I come home a lot happier. <laughs> Whereas even coming here actually reminded me what I hate about the 401. Oh. <laughs> like, it's just bottleneck. I had the music blaring, but we weren't moving. We should tell people, like, we're having this conversation on a Saturday morning. Like, the 401 should be as, e just it about should as be. easy as it gets. It should be. And but yes. it is from <laughs> where I get on, just around the 403, all the way up to just past the 400 is just bottleneck. <laughs> no so reason. Sorry. No accidents. I, I thank you, and I'm really sorry. No, no, it's not you. It's just <laughs> the city has not figured out how to design a better nope. system. Nope. No, they have not. Welcome to wherever you are. My name is Ryan McNeil in Toronto, Canada. You're listening to episode 228 of the Matinee Cast. It's the movie-loving podcast of my movie-loving website, thematinee.ca. Your home for cinematic passion and perspective. Have you ever been talking to somebody and discovered that you were in the same place at the same time but didn't know? Well, that's the story with today's guest. See, when he and I first met nine years ago, nine years ago, holy crap. Yeah, that's a long time. I know. One of our first conversations was TIFF and 9-11, and how both he and I were at films at TIFF on the morning of 9-11. The same two films. We had no idea, of course, and I mean, it probably would have helped on that terrible morning since we were both there alone. But mercifully now, if any world-changing moment were to occur during a film festival, we would be able to find each other in a crowd because I know to look for him and what a good friend he is. He is the brains behind Cinema Axis, and he's one of the voices on the Frameline podcast. It's Saturday morning here in Midtown Toronto. Courtney Small is here. How are you, man? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm, uh, I'm awake. It's, uh, it was, a, it was a, a good week at work. I, I, it's been a while since I've said that. And, uh, and I, I've been... been uh, Doing a little bit less with my July, like I've mm -hmm. actually been like saying no to some things and making less plans. Uh, I found that like coming through spring and summer, I was just so burnt out. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I was, I was like, okay, you know what? I have to start acting my age and start turning down some invitations and some ideas. So, but it, so I've been doing that for about a month, and it's and it's done well. Yeah, your personal health is surprisingly it's, important. Yeah, <laughs> you don't realize that, but you never it is. Know, yeah. On episode two twenty eight, we will be discussing the farewell and flipping the record over to play the other side. But first, we need to learn more about Courtney. This is know your enemy. Courtney first showed up on episode 75, where we did a year-end episode for 2012. We learned the first film he'd ever seen in a theater was the animated Transformers movie. The last movie he'd seen at the time was Django Unchained. The worst film he'd ever seen at the time was Firewall. His unseen classic are... <laughs> I remember Firewall, yeah. Yes, yep. you do. The unseen classic or essentials, plural, was Birth of a Nation and Passion of Joan of Arc. Now, you'd seen Birth of a Nation... Yes, and passion, I yes. kind of, I <laughs> think it's on that. canopy, I think it's on canopy. I'm pretty sure so it is. So I, I will <laughs> make a point of by it. By the end of 2019, <laughs> I'm saying it officially here, I will have watched that film. <laughs> the film he wish he'd made is Hannah and Her Sisters. Then on episode 128, we discussed Inherent Vice. We learned the film that everybody else hates that he likes is Too Fast, Too Furious. The film everybody else digs that he doesn't is Paths of Glory. The last movie to make him cry was Dear Zachary. In the movie of his life, he'd be played by Stephen James. And the films he was watching next were Imitation Game and or Birdman. Then, last summer on episode 204, we talked about Sorry to Bother You. 
Uh, we learned the film that made Courtney's love of movies turn a corner is Farewell, My Concubine. His first date movie was Charlie's Angels. The sick date, or rather I should say like one of his go-to date movies was, was the answer you gave. Um, his sick date movie is The Nice Guys. The last movie to leave him speechless was something called What Will People Say? And I feel like I missed an answer, so check the show notes to figure out what Courtney said that I missed. Uh, time for round four, sir. What is a movie that you really dig, but you never want to see again? Um, I have a lot of options for this one, mm. but I'm going to go with one that is actually coming out in, I think, maybe a month or two. Okay. So it's a film I saw at the film festival at TIFF last year called Farming, and okay. it's directed by the actor who played Mr. Echo on Lost. Oh, yeah. um, okay. Adewale, and I'm not going to try and pronounce his last name because I will butcher it. But it is a dramatization of his life story. So I guess back in the 60s or so, a lot of parents from Nigeria who were coming up to the UK to learn essentially farmed out their children to foster parents. Okay. So they paid foster parents to watch their children while they were studying at university and then also going back home to try and make money Mm. to support the entire family. And during that time, he is placed in a foster home. Um, the mother is played by Kate Beckinsale in this case. And it's a rather abusive environment because at that time, there's still a lot of racial tension mm. in the UK. So he grows up in a system where his real parents aren't there. And when they are there, they kind of want him to be more Nigerian. And he's living in the UK with this white foster family where essentially all the black kids are just kind of vehicles for cash. And they also teach him how to do shoplifting as well. And it gets to the point as he gets older, he hates the color of his skin and really wants to be white and goes as far as even joining a white supremacist group. So it is a very tough watch because you're watching this person self-loathing and have so much hate that they go into an environment that is only volatile and dangerous for them. But then they start in, you know, doing hate crimes on others. Right. But you know, the entire time that he will never quite fit in in that environment, even if he doesn't realize it. And it's just this whole, how this system that was designed to help people make a better life, ruined a generation of children. Oh, man. It's, you know, usually at this point, I kind of have to ask why, but I think it's, it's self-evident as to why a person wouldn't want to see that again. Um, it's, it's interesting because films like that, I usually kind of call them eating your vegetables. Like, mm-hmm. you know it's, it's a good story and you know it's, it's going to be an affecting story. You don't really want to do it the way I don't want to eat my Brussels sprouts. Yeah. Um, I guess, you know, my, my question though is considering that it was a film festival selection, how much of that did you know going in? Um, I knew just the, the basic premise of this black boy grows up in the UK and joins, um, a white nationalist group. group. Okay. And I knew that it was based on life story. And then they had the cast with Kate Beckinsale, um, Mr. Echo, uh, else. what's the actress's name? Gugu Mbappara. Oh yeah, she's yeah, in yeah. it. Like it's just a phenomenal yeah. cast. Yeah, and Mr. Echo's directing. Right. But watching it, I, I saw so many critics just walk out. Really? Because it is, 
it's unrelenting in terms of just how far it goes. And at the same time, you're like, it's really powerful work. Yeah. But I don't know if general audiences are going to be able to sit through it. Okay. Like the people it, who should sit through it ha- will probably have no interest. Yeah. And then I the mean, ones that do. That, that's, that's kind of the, that, that's the state of the world, right? Yes. Is we're, we're all, no matter what you identify as and what your, what your political leanings or your beliefs are, we tend to, we tend to stay in these echo chambers, mm-hmm. right? We read books that are, that have great ideas in them, but they're ideas that just reinforce our own ideas. You know, the kind of person who would benefit from seeing something like farming isn't going to go see farming. Um, And that's, that's, that's really a shame. Uh, You know, I I do commend you for, for knowing that you were getting into something tough and and doing it anyway. Cause I mean, that's, that's part of the thing too, is right now a lot of people are saying, you know, the world is such a dumpster fire. That when it comes to watching movies, I don't want to watch something that's good for me. I just want to watch Lion Kings and Avengers yep. and, and whatnot. So props to you. And, you know, the good news is you don't have to see it again. I, I, I don't have to. It's, again, I, I, I recommend it. It's, yeah. it's a good film, but yeah. it's it's a tough film. It's brutal. Uh, what is a film that genuinely freaked you out? This one, this was a tough question. So I kind of went back to my youth for this mm-hmm. one. Because the last time I remember truly being freaked out was seeing Carrie. The, oh, the yeah. Brian De Palma yeah, version. Yeah. And, you know, for your listeners who are probably on the younger side, there was a time when we didn't have streaming services. <laughs> so the only way you could watch stuff was in the theater, or if you were like me, underage, when it came on like VHS or regular stations like CTV used to have this thing called Late Great Movies. Right, right. And then it was the Late Late Great Movies. So it was like 3 a.m. in the morning kind of movies that they were showing. and Which you, you should not have been awake. You shouldn't have been awake. Really true. So you're, yeah. you're already up. You're, you're secretly watching TV when your parents <laughs> are on. And Carrie comes on. Yeah. And you start watching it. And then things happen. And they douse the blood on her and stuff. And you're just like, oh, man, these high school kids are really crazy. Is that what high school is going to be like? But for me, it was the ending. Oh, okay. It was the, the, the sequence when the hand was the ending. And that, like, just had me up for, like, a week and even now, when I think about my experience watching that, I still get, get the shivers. Chills. Like it's, it generally freaked me out. I it's it's funny because that's a movie that it's very much of its time. Like that's yes. a really really seventies horror movie in the best ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, like it, it's really stylish. It's really um, melodramatic at points. Um, really garish with a, with a lot of its colors and that kind of thing. The, you know, the red, especially every time there's blood um, and the, the orange of the fire. Um, I know it was remade a few years ago. I didn't really hear anything about the remake being any good. Yeah, I think one was with Chloe, Chloe Grace, Grace Moretz. Moretz yeah. yeah. Like you say, it's not really prototypically scary. Mm-hmm. I imagine it would probably be really affecting for any young girls who are watching it. Because, you know, with, with Carrie not understanding what's going on, yeah, um, it, it's a it's an incredible metaphor uh, that that still I think works. But yeah, when you get to that last act, things go really, really crazy, really, really quick. Um, everything from the fate of her mother to the fate yep. of her friends, and I think what makes that moment so scary. Well, first of all, the fact that you were watching that moment presumably very late at night on your own. Yes, and and I was much younger. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, 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 mm-hmm. You're just setting yourself up right there. Um, but what makes that moment so affecting is it seems like it's done. It yes. seems like it's just the epilogue to gently ferry you out of this nightmare and let you 
you know, literally let you put the flowers on the grave and walk away. Yeah, you've had say, your yeah, cathartic say your apology experience. and walk yeah. away. It's, it's like, no, we're not done. And it's it's just this really last terrifying jump. And then it just dumps you over the side and says goodbye. Yeah, and I don't think, I think it's one of those, uh, I haven't watched it in years. Uh, watching it now, I'd probably go, oh, it's, you know, you can no, see some of, the, no, some of the flaws. Jump scare. But I think the, a lot of people younger than me might not see it as scary. Like I remember seeing a restored version of The Exorcist yeah. when I was in university. Yeah. And even then, knowing everything that was coming, seeing it with an audience who was clearly seeing it for the first time, they were like laughing through most of it. Right. To them, it wasn't as freaky as, you know, when I saw it when I was younger. Yeah. So I, I'm interested to see how younger audiences would handle that film now, like yeah. the, the Palma version, but... Yeah, it's, it's one of those crazy things that because humor and horror it's just so subjective you never know how an audience is going to react there's i mean there are some really old movies i watch that just are still so messed up mm -hmm. right but that, that's just that says more towards like me and my approach to older material than it does towards like how the movie is held up right uh on the flip side of things what is a movie that always makes you laugh i went a little more recent okay. uh, for this answer and i went with old school <laughs> the uh, the classic Todd Phillips film about men who haven't quite grown up or at least want to rekindle right. the, the past. Right. And I think uh, I'm actually interested to see, what was it, Joker? Because I think Todd Phillips yeah. is directing that. And I, I always associate him with old school. Right. And it's a film that I know it's silly, but it always makes me laugh. When, uh, when you see Blue, you know, I always think my boy Blue and you just... There's just a lot of great moments, and like I never look at a keg the same way. <laughs> you know, it's just it's just one that it, it works for some reason. If it's on, I will sit and watch it, or I'll pull out the DVD every once in a while and, and throw it on. I um, that <laughs> that it, it's got so many little. That's one that's got a lot of little throwaway moments that always yes. make me laugh. Like when they're when when they're talking about Vince Vaughn's son. And how all you got to do is just say earmuffs, and then you can say whatever you want. And, mm -hmm. and uh, Will Ferrell's like, cock balls. Just, <laughs> just that, with that kind of abrasiveness. And they're like, what, really? Why? You yeah. can't do that? Um, it, it's funny because on the one hand, I'm usually put off by middle-aged men trying to rekindle their youth. But on the mm -hmm. other hand, this movie's just so absurd yep. in that respect. like That's things like at every level, they really just go for it. And there's certain jokes that, as I get older, resonate more. Like the whole Bed and Bath Beyond, like when he's talking to the college kids about how he's got a busy day and they yeah. got to go there. I was like, that's exactly what adulthood is like now. <laughs> what are you doing this weekend? Well, we might go to Home Depot and pick up some stuff and then maybe do some gardening, you know, and to you, that's like a really busy Saturday. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're just mm -hmm. staring. They're just they're like, wait, what? What? Yeah. <laughs> that, yeah, that is exactly what it turns into. Or, or the... Um, the wedding gift that he keeps trying to re-gift. Yes. You know, like, again, like that, that's another thing that kind of becomes a little funnier as you get older. Just the movie, it seems really dumb. Um, it, it's, oh man, it's been a while since I've seen it. That's another one. That was on TV for like ever. They used to play it like constantly. Yeah. Um, TBS used to have it. And then again, now everything is being divided up into streaming services. Yeah. We're in a very weird time where we've got so much content yeah. but then at the same time some of the content that you want to see you can't find anywhere somebody i somebody was reading this week called it trying to drink from the fire hose We're, we need a little bit of curation i mm -hmm. think you know instead of having it all half the time i'm i'm like flipping around on your streaming service of choice for half an hour before mm -hmm. i pick a movie yeah I'm like i've just wasted a whole lot of time 
you know, like limit down these options for me just a little bit. I usually make the mistake of putting everything in like the watch list. Oh, yeah, oh this is what still, I want to see. But again, it's list. like a half hour of that. I have, I have like a hundred movies stacked up on my DVR. You think mm. I can pick one of them? And then I usually end up picking something that's completely yeah. opposite to everything that exactly. I've, I've queued. Exactly. Oh, man. It's been a while since I watched Old School. i got to rewatch that. Uh, Courtney Small, what is your favorite movie soundtrack? Uh, Magnolia. What? The, really? It is the one and only. I would not have guessed this. Yeah. It, it introduced me to uh, Amy Mann. Okay. I became an Amy Mann fan because of that. The songs are, are great because some of them tie into the film perfectly, but mm-hmm. they also stand um, well on their own. And what I like about it is it's, I would say, 90% Amy Mann songs, and then they throw in two super songs. Yeah. And I don't remember Gabrielle, who had yeah. the classic yeah, yeah, song yeah, Dreams yeah, yeah, yeah. from Dreams. the 90s, that big hit. <laughs> so you put all those two together, and you're like, it shouldn't work, but it does. Yeah. I, the, th- the thing that's crazy about that soundtrack, along with the fact that it's a singular soundtrack, Soundtracks in general are turning into a very weird animal in, 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 in regards to film. Like, now they're either really easy, like, you know, where you can tell that a soundtrack supervisor has put no thought into it. Yeah. They just got a budget and picked, like, the easiest picks. Whatever the they can license, whatever songs, yeah. yeah. Or they've become a really like carefully crafted mixtape like what mm-hmm. Tarantino does with his movies what James Gunn was doing with the with the Guardians movies yep. that kind of thing you very seldom get it where a movie is built with a soundtrack in mind the way that something like Into the Wild did with Eddie Vedder mm-hmm. or you know going back in time um, like Batman did with Prince yep. you know this is one of those movies where Anderson really drew great inspiration and worked with Amy Mann. Mm-hmm. You know, it's so ingrained in this film that Claudia actually speaks an Amy Mann line aloud mm-hmm. in it in the, in the final act of the movie. She's like, now that I've seen you, can you agree to never meeting me again? Yeah. That, that, the way that that works and the way that Wise Up works. It's, I'm, I'm, I guess I'm more surprised because I wouldn't have guessed. I know that you're an Anderson fan, yep. uh, but I, I wouldn't have guessed. No, everything, because like, that line especially... That was one of the key lines that crafted that whole film. Yeah. Right? Like, he had heard um, a couple demos of that song and I think another one. Wise Up, maybe? Might have been Wise Up. Yeah. Or a different one off the album. And he, like, crafted the whole characters from that. Like, everything kind of spun out of that interaction. Right. So, and then you think of, like, how sweeping that film is and how the different tones it takes like mm-hmm. with the use of the narrator at the beginning to lead you to certain ways and then the the ending the the religious ending of sorts you know yeah. it, it's it's a sweeping thing and you go that all came from a few lines in the song yeah oh, that's beautiful it's, it's interesting like watching i don't know if you've seen once upon a time in hollywood yet no i'm skipping it okay so i'm not going to spoil anything but there there are ways in terms of how that film flows right and how like narration is introduced and just stylistic things where i felt like this was tarantino striving for anderson okay okay but still can't let go of the the movie geek that is tarantino right right? so there's a cleanse of watching like this could easily be a paul thomas anderson film okay i've I've heard it's uh, uh, the other thing i've heard about it is that it's very much like magnolia it's very much in the vein of shortcuts it tries to be. Okay. Yeah. It, it tries okay. to be. It, Good to know. It starts off thinking you think it's going to be like uh, that, but okay. it doesn't quite have the the flow that shortcuts does. Gotcha. Okay. All right. Great. Then I'm going to be either listening to the soundtrack or watching that movie or both. We're mm-hmm. done here. Uh, last but not least, what is a movie you love but seemingly nobody else has heard of? Um, flirting. Uh, it's, guilty. Go exactly. Ahead. 1991 film. Um, I believe the director is John Dugan. 
and it was the sequel to uh, a film called The Year When My Voice Broke. Okay. I think, I think that's the original one. But anyway, Noah Taylor... Holy uh, crap, the cast in this thing is exactly. off the hook. Exactly. So it stars Noah Taylor and Thandie Newton, right. and they are students at boarding schools, essentially like across the lake. So he's at an all-boys school. He's got a stutter. He's a bit of an outcast. She is um, the daughter of a African ambassador. Yeah. And she is essentially the only black girl at this all-girls school. Nicole Kidman's in it. She plays like essentially the, the head mean girl. Naomi huh. Watts is in it. Um, the cast is great, and it's and it's really this beautiful, bittersweet love story of these two outcasts coming together. Okay. Um, in a time where the world around them, at least the outside world of their school, is in time of great conflict, especially for her side and her father. Like in Africa, there's a lot of conflict going on, and it's how these two are coming together, and also the fact that they're so different okay but just came across road and like i didn't know any of the stars or whatnot but i would just watch movies at random right and i think that's kind of stuck with me as i've gotten older now you know a lot more stars and directors sure. but if a film looks interesting or has an interesting premise i'll just sit and watch well, it. well i mean at the time you know like okay so movies from 91 let's assume it hits cable in like 92 or 93 you certainly would not have known who noah taylor thandy newton or even naomi watts yeah, was. she was not big at that. You know, at that time. we're just at the beginning of Nicole Kidman's stardom. You know, because like, this would have been about a year or two after like Days of Thunder and Far and Away. Uh, and it then, might even been before. Because um, I think Days of Thunder wasn't it like ninety. That was nineteen ninety. Oh, was it? Yeah. Okay. I, I have a weird knowledge for early Tom Cruise mm-hmm. movies. I was a little bit too excited with the release of Maverick trailer last week. You know, it looks good. I'm a Tom Cruise fan. So. <laughs> no, it doesn't. But I'm seeing it anyway. I'm sure. Um, so, I mean, the, the crazy thing is, like, you you wouldn't have known most of these people like as, as you flipped over to it and, and watched the whole thing. And, I mean, I, I haven't even heard of this until you mentioned it, mm-hmm. but at the same time, it's kind of from that era that Australian films were doing some really, really fun things. Like, I'm thinking, like, this looks like it's around the same time as... Strictly Ballroom mm-hmm. and Muriel's Wedding yep. and, and uh, um, Priscilla, Queen of the Desert. You know, like, like yeah, all I, that of that was probably like a year after yep. mid nineties in Australia did some really cool things. Um, and and that's that that's yeah. I, I I've never heard of a, another person talking about this movie, but which is a shame because it looks like you're describing the actual plot of it and looking at who's in it. This looks fantastic. Mm-hmm. It, I, I, I got to chase this down. I kind of hope The that. 90s, it's, it's funny because I've been kind of going back and watching a lot of the stuff that I love from the 90s. Yeah. Um, so I don't know if you've seen Zero Effect. Nope. Oh, write that down. Okay. Bill, Bill Pullman and Ben Stiller. Uh, it's a kind of gumshoe type tale where Bill Pullman's an eccentric uh, private investigator. Okay. okay. And uh, Ben Stiller is the straight man in the film. Surprise, surprise. And he is the mediator between the clients and this investigator. Okay. And it's a really good um, you know tale. You know what's bad? You tell me about that movie, and in my head I had to split for a second because I thought you were talking about Suspect Zero, which is a really bad movie uh, with, yes. with, uh, with Ben Kingsley. I was like, wait, no, no, not that one. <laughs> no, 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 not all. <laughs> Don't get those mixed up, people. This one was uh, two thumbs up by Siskel and Eber okay. back in the day. So I will, I will chase you down. You can take their words. But it's just interesting to see like those styles of films and how stories unfolded it's kind of been lost right um and we're slowly getting it back i find a couple of films that i've seen and we'll talk about yeah later on in the the major film but i'm noticing a lot of 90s flourishes kind of coming back in the way how people focus on 
story and not necessarily stylistic as much. It's a good thing, if you ask me. Uh, well, there we go. That is more about Courtney Small. We'll learn more about him when he comes back for a fifth appearance uh, sometime in the future. But for now, we have a movie to talk about. We have a humdinger of a movie to talk about. Um, we got The Farewell on episode 228. Come on back right after this. Farewell is written and directed by Lulu Wang. It stars Aquafina Sima, Diana Lin, Xiao Shuzhen, and several other people. Aquafina plays Billy, a Chinese American trying to make ends meet in New York and doing a so-so job of it. One evening, when she goes to her parents for dinner, she gets some terrible news. Her grandmother, she calls her Nai Nai, has been diagnosed with lung cancer and given three months to live. The terrible part is that the family isn't telling Nai Nai what the diagnosis is. A plan is quickly hatched for Billy's cousin to get married to his girlfriend of three months. Yes, that is extremely quick to be getting married, but the larger point is that the wedding will serve as an excuse for the family to gather around Nai Nai one last time. At first, Billy is told to steer clear because she'll give the game away, but unable to let the opportunity pass her by, Billy goes on her own to bear witness and say a proper farewell. Director Lulu Wang has gone on record as saying she is okay if you laugh or if you cry at her film. She didn't want to restrict the experience and wanted to underline the way every experience can be truly absurd. We aren't told if our life events are to be comedies or dramas, so why should a movie limit itself as well? So pop quiz hotshot, worth the farewell. Did you laugh or did you cry? I laughed. I did not cry but I was very touched. Okay. Um, it takes a lot for a film to make me cry. Right. Um, but this one had me thinking a lot about family. Mm-hmm. And I also tell my wife that weddings and funerals bring out the worst in family. <laughs> you know, and it, no matter how, how much you, you try, every wedding is going to have problems with family members and every funeral is going to have problems with family members. And, this I put towards the funeral side because when it comes to an issue of illness, mm-hmm. illness only really becomes a complication when the thought of a funeral type, when death enters the, the picture. Right. Um, if it was just, oh, she's got a cold or whatnot, the family thing. But when in this case, when you've got a terminal diagnosis, yeah, then all the stuff that you would normally see at a funeral starts to happen right. before that. So I found it very touching. Yeah. Um, and it made me think a lot about just family relations. Like I wasn't close to my own grandmother. Mm-hmm. Um, she used to, she lived in the UK for most of her life. So when I saw her, we got along well. To me, she was always, because she was so old school, it was more of like the disciplinary ah, grandmother. Right. Um, but I was a lot closer to her sisters okay. growing up just because of how family and um where you end up living in the sure, world. Sure. She just had more siblings that were like in Montreal and stuff. Gotcha. Uh, but I also th- would think of like when they were going through certain illness, I was there more uh, firsthand yeah. to see that. And even when her brother passed away um, a few years ago, well, actually, no, it's been several years now, but 
it still feels fairly recent, but just seeing how illness impacted everybody. Mm -hmm. So that's the type of stuff that was going through my head while right. watching the film. And it, but it didn't push you over the edge and get tears. Because you're saying it takes a lot. Yeah. No, I just, maybe I'm cold. <laughs> I'm probably cold-hearted deep down. But yeah, it, um, it didn't push me to tears. Did you uh, shed a tear or two? I, uh, I got verklempt. Mm -hmm. uh, I got verklempt uh, in the late going when, um, when she is leaving... China. So, like, this isn't the kind of movie that we can really spoil because the idea of this deception is put forward within the first 10 minutes. Um, you know, all, all anybody needs to know is that the family goes to China and they do eventually leave. Obviously, they're not going to uproot their entire lives and stay there. Um, so, when it came time for Billy and her parents to come back home and they were saying their goodbye, I got a little misty mm -hmm. at that point. Um, and there was a lot of the actual story where I was kind of drifting into other thoughts. But for the most part, yeah. I was laughing um, at just at, at the amount of love and beauty that this family is going through in this very, very strange situation. Um, we'll get back to like what, how this film makes us laugh and why in, in, a, in a few minutes. But I think mean, the thing that I like is obviously the way we're both talking about it. We both like this movie. Yes. Uh, the balance of the, the humor and the drama, mm. the, the premise is one of a screwball comedy. Yeah. If this was made in Hollywood, it would be a screwball comedy. It would have a, it would be like um, Death at a Funeral, right? but the American right. version kind of thing where right. you have big name cast and it would just be about the silly antics. Yeah. There are moments in this film when they are trying to hide um, doctor's reports and, you know, running halfway across town to try and stop certain things where you think this should be, I should be laughing yeah. hysterically, but you're not, you're kind of. You're, you're amused, but then at the same time, you're watching, you're like, oh man, what, what will happen if they don't achieve whatever the goal is? Yeah. You're always thinking of when is the domino going to fall yeah. and what's the impact of it, right? And that's, that's a very tricky thing to do, which mm -hmm. is one of the reasons why I love this film, because everything is balanced on, you know, a thimble. Yeah. And yet it stays perfectly level. The thing that I love about this movie is that Kind of like what you were saying about um, how the Hollywood version of this would be very different and much more slapstick, mm -hmm. I think. Like, this movie is very funny, and there are moments in it that are truly absurd. Um, but what I love about this movie is that it is very, very, very much a Chinese story. Mm -hmm. um, and in a lot of ways, a Chinese-American or Chinese-Canadian story. Um, but one that we're not there to laugh at the cultural differences. You know, like th this movie is is deeply steeped in the Chinese culture. Everything from how the wedding happens to the way the conversations tend to go to um, you know even just being able to get from A to B sometimes, and they are funny. They, they, there's a lot of there's a lot of humor in listening to a hotel clerk ask what is better, China or America. Yeah, you know, like it's it's such an absurd question to be asking a guest that is checking in at a question that has no answer, and yet he kind of keeps gently pressing. But it's not the kind of movie, like not to throw a movie under the bus, but I think of something like My Big Fat Greek Wedding, which again is told by a Greek Canadian, but is designed to say, look at how crazy my relatives are. Mm -hmm. It's not that. I, I love that it's a movie where the differences are played with such warmth. Um, and that allows us to feel like an honored guest at this table. Yep. My crowd was was like really really mixed, but it's 
every, no matter what kind of crowd you're in, whether you're in a very Chinese crowd or you're in a very mixed crowd or you're in a completely white crowd, mm -hmm. there's a lot of love in this movie that makes you feel like you're invited into yeah. this into this thing. And that's a really hard um, thing to hit. Um, speaking of hard things to hit, um, Aquafina at the, at the center of this movie. Now, I'm new-ish to Aquafina's acting. Like, I only saw her in the past in... The, the two movies that she did last year in Ocean's 8 and uh, Crazy Wizard Crazy Crazy. Yeah, I did not realize that she had this kind of acting in her. I was surprised as well. Um, I know her from obviously Crazy Risk Agents, but also when she was doing hip-hop. Right. Um, and there's a great documentary called Bad Rap. Okay. Uh, and it focuses on her, Dumbfounded, and two other Asian-American um hip-hop artist okay. and just how they got an influence and through that documentary you kind of see how her career takes off in a way that the other three there's doesn't mm -hmm. um they all have various levels of success but it was fascinating seeing her going through that where she goes from rapper to like smart rapper that incorporates a lot of comedy to mtv host and all of this stuff and then to a film where she is literally on the brink of just total breakdown mm -hmm. and, and we're there with her yeah but she has to maintain it and yet she still finds ways to bring humor mm -hmm. into the situation like i feel like her performance is so understated that she might get overlooked come awards time and yeah. i and i feel like her and um the actress that played nai nai should be in consideration because they are both wonderful yes. in this film like you you are essentially aquafina yeah she makes every single person i don't care what age you are you're watching it and you're Aquafina. And then Nai Nai is your grandmother or one lo some loved one yeah. that you've encountered. Like to to do that the way that they do in this film and still have you laughing and walking out feeling good despite the you know, the circumstances of this of this film, that's remarkable. Yeah. And it, I don't think it's being brought up enough. No, no. I mean you you say you you said it absolutely correct. Like she's on the brink through most of this movie. She's not exactly, like she's she's not shrink-wrapped in tears. Mm -hmm. You know, you don't look at her and think that she's gonna cry at any second, but she wears the weight of what's happening on her face. Every single shot she wears it. The only time that she can sort of tamp it down is when Nai Nai is around because she's been told not to let her on. And even then, either Nai Nai is being, you know, a little bit obtuse or mm -hmm. she's turning a blind eye because she's not, Aquafina is not that great an actor and neither is Billy. Mm -hmm. um, it, it's, it's incredible to see her do this and the way that she interacts with everybody, the way that she moves around this world, the way sometimes that she just looks around. Um, I remember there's a scene late where they're driving through a neighborhood and she's like, I remember this neighborhood. Yes. You know, yeah. you, you look at that and I started thinking about my earliest memories that are kind of like just barely there of like the first neighborhoods that I grew mm -hmm. up in in Toronto that I can still cut through, but I can, you, I can't really remember it. And I'm watching Aquafina describing those. And I totally believe that she did um, grow up in these, in these yep. neighborhoods and that she does feel a pull the same way that she feels the pull to come to China to, to do this. Like it's, it's a big step. Like it's, it's not, she's not somebody who I would say is impulsive. She's kind of struggling to keep her shit together. We see that 
she's arguing with her landlord, and we see that she got turned down for a fellowship. But she's not any kind of millennial single woman who's, you know, doesn't have, you know, who's, who's just way too scattered. She's, she's got her stuff together. But watching her like this, it's, it's like you're watching her like just out ready to be on pull, like be ready to come undone. Yep. And it's beautiful to watch. And I think some of that has to do with the cultural divide that's also at the center of this film. Because sure. she grew up in America. Her um, parents immigrated to America when she was really young. So she doesn't quite remember the land that she went. And then her uncle as well seems to have left China, whether it was to go to Japan or whatnot. So it's this whole idea of the pull between leaving to, quote-unquote, better your life and not necessarily think of, of those that have been left behind and then coming back and trying to impose your your views yeah. on those who are are still there. And see, what I love about that is that this film doesn't come down on one side or the other. It doesn't say you are bad for leaving mm-hmm. or you are especially good for staying. It just says... There is there there will be a disconnect. Yep. It's up to you what you do with that disconnect, and it's up to the people who you take with you or the people who stay how they respond to that disconnect. But there, it, but it will be there. Yeah, and it's and it's that disconnect's also going to be very complicated because sure. even the ones who stay and are you know, I only represent China. China is great. You have some of those that are still sending their kids to America. Yeah. And think, oh, they'll come back. It's yeah. like, but what if they don't? Oh, they'll come back. Right. But you're willing to take that risk. Why are you willing? To, like, there's a lot of layers to to the discourse, which I found interesting. And one of my favorite scenes comes at the wedding when mm-hmm. the uncle is giving the the wedding speech. Mm-hmm. And the whole film, everyone's keep telling Aquafina that she's, you know, you have to stay calm because Nainai will detect. But everyone else around them is clearly at the point of breaking down. Yeah. And Nainai yeah. realizes that, like, you know, what's wrong with your dad, Billy? <laughs> oh, he's, yeah, he's stressed. Jet, yeah. jet lag. What's wrong yeah. with this person? And the uncle gets up to give this speech. And thanks, everyone. And then he goes to thank his mother. He goes to thank Nainai. And he can't keep it together. Yeah. Like, he's giving this really painfully emotional speech Yeah, that... Uh, Liu Wang does a wonderful thing of turning into a great comedic moment mm-hmm. at the end, but just seeing the the guilt on his face for for leaving, even though he probably had to and it was good for his life and it's fine, but you could see the guilt yeah. all over his face as he's giving this speech and everyone at the wedding is looking at him like, what's what's wrong with this guy? Yeah, like, he had too much to drink? He had what's too much up? to drink? Yeah. And then there's that awkward pause and people start clapping and you know, the whole theater erupted after that because it, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's, there's a lot of comedy to be yeah. had in that scene. But at the same time, it's such an emotionally heart-wrenching scene that the fact that you could turn, have us, you know, being touched one moment and then laughing yeah. the next. Again, yeah. very hard to pull off. It's, it's like, I mean, that whole speech um, and, and a lot of this movie comes down to the very personal nature of grief. Um, there's, a, there's a wonderful moment where Billy and her mom disagree on how to grieve right like her 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 she's asking her mom she's like why aren't you losing it more over this like how are you able Mm -hmm. to stay so so composed and she's she's like what am i supposed to cry am i supposed to wail am i supposed to be you know like like threadbare all the time she goes you know like there are people you can hire for that at these at at funerals and and later on we actually do see that yes you know (laughs) it's it's crazy because uh it's it they you know, I, my, my 
one of my mantras in life lately, or like like one of the things I say a lot in life lately is they don't tell you this. And one of the things they don't tell you is there is no one way to grieve and you're gonna like you're gonna respond differently every single time. Yep. And even and even if like you and the person next to you are grieving the same thing, you're not gonna be going through it together. And this film does an amazing job of showing that, of showing that, you know, the generation that is losing a parent might respond one way. The generation that is losing a grandparent is going to respond in a completely different way, not even getting into the fact that it's, you know, the the first generation Chinese and then the first generation American and, and how that may yep. have tempered their, their thing. I think this film is, has does a lot with that at its, at its center. And it's also tough because they're grieving the living. Yeah. Which... You know, when you think of grief, you always think of, well, how do you cope with someone after they've passed? But we're learning more and more that that is a thing, right? Mm -hmm. Like, like when it comes to losing somebody you care about, you're either going to lose them really quick or really slow, and you and you and you never know what you're going to get. Yeah. And I've I've been in conversations with people. It's like, would you rather just it's done and you have to deal with the shock, or would you have it drawn out? And you get to put affairs in order and have your moments and whatever. And it's like nobody is able to come down with an answer. Yeah, it's a 50-50 split depending right. on, yeah. on who, you, on who yeah. you speak to. So, so you know, to your point, yeah, it's, 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 it's so hard to, to, to come down on one side or the other. And I think this film does a good job of kind of showing it all. And what I found interesting was also for I would say a good portion of this film we're on Aquafina's side mm -hmm. because we have our North American sensibilities like A you should tell the person B isn't this illegal that you're not <laughs> telling and yeah, yeah. as there's a great scene in the hospital where you're like how are they pulling this thing off and then you realize culturally this is just one of those things that at various levels people will play along if if they need to but then there's the moment where I think her Nine-Eye's sister was saying about how, well, Nine-Eye did this for her husband. Right. And, you know, you see the cycle and how, how it goes on. And then you start to think, well, is it necessarily really that bad if you're, if Nine-Eye's seeing you at your best? Yeah. Because one of the things that people hate, especially when it comes to illness, is everyone giving them pity. Yeah. Sometimes, even if you're down on your luck, you still want to be seen as a person, not whatever the ailment is. Yeah. So if you tell her, then everyone's just going to look at her as cancer or, or whatever the cause is. Yeah. So, you know, you start, by the time you walk away from this film, you're kind of torn because morally you're like, they should tell her, but then other side you're like, but is it really that bad yeah. seeing how things got to play out? Yeah. I, I mean, obviously with the wedding, things got far more elaborate than they anticipated. <laughs> they thought it'd just be a quick little ruse, but no, things evolved. No, well, no, because Nine Eye had her say, and she's like, "What will people think if we if we don't throw a proper affair? Mm -hmm. People will talk." It's like, oh, uh, we just, we, you know, we just <laughs> we made this so much worse on ourselves. Um, you know, you bring up the lie at the center of this story, and I really think that is the key to this movie being so successful, and Lulu Wang's script being so beautiful like on top of the fact that she's pulling it from something that actually happened in yep. her life you know whenever you get into the story of a, of, of a deception it becomes very complicated very quick and very mm -hmm. messy very quick i think for instance of 
a show that I saw earlier this year that may eventually become a film. I wouldn't be surprised. But I went to see Dear Evan Hansen. Oh, okay. And How's that? It's it's really good. Okay. But I had a big problem with it because the whole story hangs on the lies that Evan tells, and that Evan can't that Evan can't stop lying, and he just kind of mm. gets in deeper and deeper and deeper. And I came away from it really conflicted. This story also hangs on a lie. It, it, you know, it hangs on a singular lie to one person. Yep. That's kind of a grand production because a whole bunch of people get in on the same deception. But in this movie, because it came with so much warmth, and like you say, was part of that cultural um, thing that is done. Like we see the doctor going along with it. Yep. That, is, that is the that is the craziest part in this movie is the doctor's like, so I hear you've decided not to tell her. While she's in the room, mm-hmm. um, and you're like, "Wait, what?" And and you realize that in North America, this would be both immoral and illegal. But meanwhile, in mainland China, this is just done. Yeah, it's it's like, okay, you know what? It's not a lie that I would tell. It's not a lie that I would agree with. But you know what? I can't really push back too hard about it if this is the lie that is told in this country. And the lie that Nai Nai herself has told. Like, yeah. I think, if anything, I was kind of scratching my head going, if she told this lie before, how is she not catching on? And, and, mm-hmm. and part of me wonders if part of her knew. And I was wondering about that as well. Uh, but then at the same time, I think she's also blinded by having her whole family back around her. Oh, you think because she's just like, caught up in the excitement of it? I think because you get caught up in the wedding excitement. Right. And... Because yeah, there's times where she and I felt I felt so sorry for the uh, the bride to be the Japanese bride to be who can't speak Chinese can't speak Chinese and is really just overwhelmed by all of this has only been dating the guy for three months she's, but she, likes she, him she, enough to marry him yeah. and then it just gets the worst of everything Nai Nai is complaining <laughs> that she doesn't speak the language that she doesn't show him enough affection yeah. like she's still trying to figure out this it's guy like if there's an opposite of a bridezilla it's this woman yes <laughs> it, it, she, she's just the brunt of it but seeing how Nai Nai was um, interacting with them and prepping the wedding and then also with her and Billy and just like you know well one day when you get married I'll throw you even better wedding and I, I think she was just caught up in the joy of everything and when people would ask her if she's okay she thinks that she's fooling them by going oh it's just a simple cough right and at first even when her sister when she thought it might be something serious and her sister's like oh no it's just this shadow on the shadow thing yeah. she's like that seemed a little weird but they do a good job of convincing her yeah that it is so it's you know like that is absolutely positively where this film achieves is the fact that this whole story like like the like the it starts you know it's the first thing we see on a black screen white text based on an actual lie and and that it can pull it off with so much beauty so much joy and not have us bristling at this mistruth because you know like yeah everybody lies but at the same time nobody wants to be lied to so you would think that it would be a muddier walk but meanwhile it's just nothing but you know, absolute beauty. Um, you know, and, and because of that, this film should be a drag, but it's really not. It's it's a joyful movie with a lot of subtle humor. Yes. You know, like when we were saying earlier about the difference between if this movie was told in North American versus the, the, the this being a Chinese story, I think of everything from like, um, from watching them, uh, from, from watching them at the grave, 
you oh. know, when, when they're when they're at the grave, wonderful at, scene. Yeah, they're they're at her husband. They're at Nine Eyes' husband's grave, and she's saying blessings, and they're they're putting down offerings. And no, 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 you got to open up the potato chips, otherwise you won't be able to get them. And mm-hmm. you gotta you gotta light the smoke, otherwise you won't be able to smoke it. And then and they're bowing, and they're bowing again, and they're bowing again. It's it's beautiful. It's not again. It's not played for. Look at how crazy Chinese people are. Yeah. It's it's so warm. This movie. But even in that scene, and what I love about that scene is there's also deception laced in that scene because she's saying, like, open up the chips, peel the orange. Then someone puts down the cigarette and and it's like, no, he stopped smoking. It's like, no, no, he told you he stopped smoking. But actually, he was still smoking up to his death. And there was this whole debate about that line. And and he's dead now. Like, like, what's it going to hurt him? Like the smoke. (laughs) Exactly. But Nanai's still like, I I am the matriarch. I will run things. And it's it's funny because even when they're doing the prayers and the, the bowing and she's praying for the um up to like the little nephew like yeah. i hope he passes his exams because whatever his marks aren't that great and you're yeah. just like wait what <laughs> you know it's <laughs> yeah. just there's a lot of shade there's a lot of shade <laughs> that goes on and a lot of awkwardness but they still have to do it because it's ritual it's custom yeah. you can't offend nine eye so it's oh it's so beautiful um yeah you know watching this family gather watching you know the grandmother fussing the siblings taking responsibility watching Billy and her parents talk and, and ask, like, you know, the way she's like, do you want me to lie to you? Is like this mm-hmm. kind of thing. It's, there is so much packed into this movie and it's all done with such elegance. I am so happy that this movie has kind of arrived into the middle of the summer of, yep. of blockbusters and everything. And I really hope that it's the kind of movie that gets some legs and people do see it as 2019 goes on. She's got this, she's got a very interesting relationship with her parents too. Um, even right down to how they ha- how they have like kind of their own black sense of humor, you yeah. know, like when when she gets told about it, and, and they're like, "Well, how did you want? Did you want us to frame the news like the joke and tell you that Grandma got out on the roof?" Mm-hmm. Um, but like watching her watching that push and pull with them because it's you know one of theirs. I think it's it's his mom. Right? It's, it's his, his mom, yeah. The, her and, her but, father's. But um, her her mother obviously is still so deeply affected that it's 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 her who she argues with so mm-hmm. often, um, like that felt very genuine with those three actors with those with those two actors in Aquafina going back and forth. Like I don't know how much they workshopped this or anything like that, but those scenes when she was just with her parents were incredible. Yeah, and it, it's funny because you see a lot of the dynamics with the whole family just in that immediate group. So you've got the parents that didn't want to tell her the truth because they figured she would just go spill the beans to, to Nina. But then also with the mother, the mother is, I think the strongest of them in terms of being composed, but it's She's certainly the most pragmatic, most pragmatic, but it's also been forced upon her mm. because you get the sense that when she was first brought into this family, Nina didn't approve of her. Yeah. And she's had to really work hard to show her worth. And even when they are over in China, Nanai keeps asking her, well, you know, is your, is your, are you feeding your husband enough? Because he looks very depressed. What's going on? Is there problems in the bedroom? Like, just a lot of things. It's like, this this woman is a, she's grown. Yeah. <laughs> and yet, in that situation, she still has to try and, and fit a role that she doesn't want to have to fit. And then she's got her daughter telling her to do something else. Like, there's a lot of delicate balance going on with, with all of them. And the father was really great as well because he's he's really struggling mm-hmm. to contain his grief and he's just trying to use alcohol or whatever yeah to numb the pain but 
again, him, it's written on his face, his brother, it's written on his face, the uh, the nephew that's getting married. Yeah. He, oh, yeah, he can't, he keep, can't keep it com- no. together at no. all, especially at the wedding. Like, yeah. there's a, a great thing where they're playing this drinking game yeah which i would like to go to a chinese wedding <laughs> yeah. it, it, it looked, it looked more too. more interesting than the speeches that were going on they're playing this really cool drinking game and he keeps messing up and having to take shots but there's a point where he just loses it and they all think oh he's had too much to drink and it's like no he's been he's been barely coping yeah for the last three days yeah. and he just could not take it anymore <laughs> so it, it's a very interesting dynamic to see this American family and their, I guess, North American problems, yeah. and then having to be transported where you've now got cultural weight that you've got to bear as well. I think the, the moment that actually felt most uh, tangible to me is when everybody gets to China, one of the first scenes we see is they're cooking. And I, mm. I always love that family movies include scenes of cooking because that's yep. such, uh, most families, that's such an integral part of the, of the family unit. Um, and you know, just like every other scene, there's fussing over, are you cooking it right? So, mm-hmm. so you know, quote unquote, right. Cause I go through that. Like, what, like I'm at the point where I'm front and center when it comes to like Christmas dinner and Thanksgiving dinner. Uh, yeah. And it's, and, and I, every, you know, I can set my watch by when I will tell my mother, not my first rodeo in terms mm-hmm. of how I'm cooking. Yep. But I have to, but it's like every time I'm like, mom, I can cook. Really? I know, I know how to cook peas. It's okay. Go over there, do your thing. Yep. Yeah, you know, and I love that that's in it. I love that food plays such a central part in this movie, and it's just all over. You will leave this movie hungry um, and maybe wanting to smoke. Um, but, <laughs> um, you know, it, clearly we both really enjoy this movie, and we really do think that you should see it. Um, we end every review here at the Matinee Cast with a souvenir, something tangible or intangible. If you could take away from this movie and keep Courtney Small, what would be your souvenir from um, The Farewell? I'm going to give you a souvenir and a half. Okay. Because one of the things that I would love personally to have is the chair that Billy and her father sit on at one point. So there's one point where they're both distraught right. at Night Night's house. And they can't, they're trying to take their mind off things. And he asks her about the fellowship. But she's too cranky and she doesn't want to talk about it. And she asked him about something i don't know if it was like a smoking or something related to nine nine he doesn't want to talk about it but they're sitting on this chair and the frame the wooden um, framework of the chair is this very intricate um chinese design where okay. it's almost like you're you're lo- you're looking at chinese history being played out okay. okay so there's a lot of different characters and i think there's a few people on horses and there's an interesting history okay that is being told and it's just weird seeing these two you know Americans sitting on this chair and they're talking about something and like the weight of the culture is what's weighing them down and you see the historical thing right. in the back. It's just a really cool It's a nice little elegant show. Elegant hands. thing. But for me, the real souvenir is actually going back to cigarettes. The scene where Aquafina goes to they're at the hotel and her father and his brother are having a smoke. Right. And she comes in, it's like, Dad, you don't smoke and the uh, the uncle's like, ah, oh, let him smoke. He's got a lot of weight. And that's when they start talking about the difference in culture okay and how in china it's not the illness that kills you but the thought of the illness right so if you tell someone that they're ailing with whatever cancer for example the thought of the cancer is what will bring people's health down even more mm. the worry about the illness yeah. right opposed to north america where it's like if someone's got a problem let them know let them deal with it and that i found was really interesting and that's what i was thinking about a lot on the drive home mm-hmm. right like what 
you know, when you get hurt, is it the actual pain of it or is it the thought of, you know, seeing the blood and what you associate with yeah. things like you know, that, that, so. that? That is a really good one. And it does, it does tie back to the, the core theme of this movie about how the big difference between life in the East and life in the West is life in the East is that your life is not your own. Your life is there as part of a greater whole to serve your community and your family. Yep. Um, and, and however that may push or pull you as time goes on versus in the West, it's individualism. It's this is what I feel is best for me. And it's kind of, you know, it's, it's kind of a reflection of, you know, the disease isn't going to get you. What that does to everybody else and to your role and everybody else, that's what's going to get you. Yeah. You know, it's, it's a, again, and it's, it's all done really elegantly. Like you say, even with that chair, that you have two basically Chinese Americans at this point, certainly, certainly... Uh, Billy and probably her dad by this point he's probably spent about half his life yeah it sounds like he's spent at least a good 20 30 years they are are characters that crazy rich Asians would have had a field day with I'm sure Mm -hmm. Um, on that very very old school piece of furniture and and how it's hanging around Um, you kind of already touched on my souvenir actually I just want to play that drinking game that looks like like a whole (laughs) lot of fun and I love that the whole family gets in on it yeah Nanai was like killing that game oh yeah she was like (laughs) slaying them all she's like really like this is you know I I would not want to go up against her in like a game of cups Um, but I, I love that it's the kind of game that you think should be played at like you know a frat party and yet here it is with like mm-hmm. all these middle-aged and older family members playing it and and, and watching it all, all play out i don't even i don't entirely know how it works <laughs> it sounded like there was a i interpreted it as there's some type of song you've got to sing and, and then you've got to throw you've got to throw it to the next person and they've got to pick it up right pick away. it up or something but yeah i kind of feel like it would be more fun to play if i didn't really know the rules yeah you know fun for me anyway um we rate here on the matinee cast on a scale of one to four stars courtney small i don't think it's going to be too much of a surprise but what do you give this film uh this one's a four star for this me this is absolutely this a four is, star this film. is one of the yes. uh one of the best this i think of the year so far absolutely um it's a, again i said it before i'll say it again this is a movie that i really hope people find as the as the months go along as as it goes into you know, it's going to hang around theaters until we get to autumn, but as it hits things like On Demand and Netflix and starts coming up in year-end conversations, I really hope people find this movie um, because it will, you know, whether you've got a big family or you're close to your family or whatever, it's 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 got a lot going on and it does it all so elegantly that it really deserves to be seen. Um, hey, maybe you think you're wrong. Maybe you hate this movie and you have your own ideas why. I would love to know. Um, or maybe you love this movie too. Please let me know. Ryan at the matinee.ca Twitter, where I'm matinee underscore CA. Or Facebook.com slash dark matinee. What do you think of Lulu Wang's Farewell? We'll be right back after this to talk about some more movies. Come on back. back it's matt nakecast 228 he's courtney small i'm ryan mcneil we've been talking about the farewell this is the time where we flip the record over and play you some other songs that uh, go along with our main attraction as it were uh what did you come up with uh to go along with the farewell so my uh my list is a bit scattered okay i'm gonna preface that okay I, I i came up with three and they're all they're i'm not exactly reaching with most of these so maybe you can offset some of my damage there's definitely 
There's definitely one that I'm reaching with. But anyway, so the first thing that came to mind when I was watching this film was actually Ang Lee's The Wedding Banquet. Which I've never seen. So it, The Wedding Banquet is a film all based around a lie. Okay. So it, the film is about a, uh, I believe he's Taiwanese uh, man who is in a loving relationship with his partner, but his parents don't know that he's gay. So they try to set him up with a girl. I think it's about time. So he goes... I'm totally lying. I have seen this movie. Go yeah, on. Yeah, it's, it's 90s. Yeah. It's, a, yeah, it's yeah. a great little film. So he goes to great lengths to basically take one of his tenants and have her pose as his new girlfriend. So they hear about it and he thinks, okay, I've got a girlfriend. They'll leave me alone for a bit. But they end up saying, oh, well, we got to throw you a wedding. And everything just kind of goes downhill from, from there. And it's, again, it's upset about a lie. A wedding plays a huge um, aspect of this film. And it's about not only two cultures kind of coming together, that, you know, but also him trying to explain who he really is. And his partner, who's American, is kind of grudgingly going along with this lie. Mm. You know, he's just posed as like the roommate. Right, and it's it's very interesting to see the the way that cultural and ritual impacts what happens with this wedding, and again, things get really big. And of how long can you sustain a lie, especially when it's impacting someone that you love? I remember in this movie, I, I'm remembering first of all why we talked about it back when um, back when we did the when Simon Colum and I did the film locker, we did an episode on Ang Lee. Mm -hmm. And I remember, like, I, I went through... He doesn't have a very, very long filmography, but I went back into some of those ones that I had never seen before. And, and I, I did watch this one. Um, like many um, ethnic films that involve a wedding, I remember the wedding being just, like, this huge production. Yep. Uh, like we were saying about The Farewell, food plays a huge role. It's another one of these movies that you'll leave hungry. Um, there's also a drinking game in there's that also as well. A drinking I game, and correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't there also like a whole big to do about the the consummating of the marriage? Yes, <laughs> yes. I, that <laughs> was get really that weird. was part of it as well. I, I think part of the, I don't know if it stemmed from the drinking game or whatnot, but I remember there's one part where they're all by a bed, yeah, and they're doing some type of song or something yeah. to to I guess get the couple in the mood, which right. is kind of awkward when you've got like 30 people staring at you, yeah, and then they they eventually leave, yeah, when they feel it's time. But yeah, yeah there's but I, 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 I feel like they didn't even go far. Like I feel like they're just like out in the hall mm -hmm. or something like that. Um, you know, it's it's crazy because the one thing I do think about with Ang Lee is that I do wish that he would work in in Chinese cinema just a little bit more because like he did this movie he did Eat Drink Man Woman he yeah. of course did Crouching Tiger Hidden Dragon um, I count myself as a fan of Lust Caution but I think I'm the only person who likes that movie and he's he's been in the American system for for so long like I kind of wish that he would do a few more just because he seems to bring out some of the best yeah. in, in, the, in, in the culture and the beauty of the culture. Um, I have not seen that movie in a long time. So thank you for it's, it's, it's early nineties day on the, yep. on the matinee cast. So it would seem, um, speaking of early nineties, one of the ones I thought of was I wanted to go with a movie that's got an iconic wedding. 
So, you know, like there, there's ones like there's the Godfather and, uh, you know, I was listening to our friends Rachel and Jess on, on their podcast mm-hmm. talking about the deer hunter and how much they hated how long that wedding goes on. <laughs> uh, but um, I thought about Muriel's wedding from okay. 1984. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's also an Australian film. It was kind of, it was the breakout role for Tony Collette and how this woman just has been dreaming about this day. And and this and this this you know who that man might be for so long. Yes. And it's you know it, it's strange because for something that actually plays not that big a part in the overall story, it's it it's kind of interesting to see that be the title of the film, and also to watch her like have that thousand watt smile on her face the whole time. The the thing about Muriel's wedding is that everybody except Muriel seems to know that it is a very bad idea. You know, yeah. everybody who's there seems to be like, okay, let's do this. This is all right. But for Muriel, it is just the be all and end all, uh, you know, of, of, of her life. Like she started out kind of, kind of dumpy, kind of awkward, whatever. And wasn't sure that she'd ever be in this place where she could be, you know, the princess at the start of the yeah. wedding. And watching Tony Collette in that movie, watching a movie where like that's kind of the main attraction, it's it's another one of those things where you think, like you said earlier, how weddings and funerals can bring out the worst in people. Yep, that's it, a, that film's a good example. Yeah, and of course, you know, like uh, it's a, it's a this film's got an amazing soundtrack. It's got all those Abba songs. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you've got Rachel Griffiths doing another breakup performance in that movie. It's a movie. I kind of I'm beginning to wonder if it's a movie like like you were saying with flirting that's kind of getting lost to time. Yes, I, I, I do see it on um, the W Network every well, once course. in a while. Yeah, I wonder why. But for a lot of people, yeah, they when they think of Tony Collette, they think of The Sixth Sense, they think of Hereditary, but yeah. people don't go that far back. Yeah, and, no, I, it, and, and it's a shame because she's incredible in this movie mm-hmm. and everything that she goes from, you know, it's, there, there's, there's a bit of lying in this movie too, every, and even right down to Muriel's identity because, you know, she's... She she wants to be called Mariel for the whole time, and then eventually yeah. she's Muriel. Um, I, I think it would make a great little pairing with the with the farewell, if nothing else, to give you a little bit of joy. Uh, you know, not not actually. Sorry, no, I shouldn't have said that because we, we were saying how joyful the farewell is. No, but a, a little it leaves you a little more upbeat. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's what, and that's for my next pick. I I went more the upbeat route. Okay. What do you got? I got the Royal Tenenbaums. Okay. Yeah. Because you know, there's a few shots where I was like, oh, it kind of reminds me of Wes Anderson in terms of like yeah, style, use of color. Yeah. But I was thinking about Royal Tenenbaums more in terms of how much I love Gene Hackman's grandfather role mm-hmm. in, in, in that film. And I was thinking more like, you know, if you want a film of just two really fun grandparents that regardless of the situation will bring, put a smile on your face. You've got Nine Eye and then you've got the Royal Tenenbaums. And there's yeah. also a lot of, well, for Gene Hammond, there's a lot of scheming yeah. and lying, but that's on his part. Right. But it's just a really interesting film. And I I enjoy the way how that odd family works and eventually comes together. No matter yeah. what their differences are, they still they're still a family. Yeah. And they figure out how to work things out even when it should be preposterous that they do. Yeah. I feel like Royal Tenenbaum and Nine Eye would get along really well. Yes, you know, like I feel like if you put them at the table, they'd have all kinds of things to talk about. Mm. <laughs> For sure, there you're right though. There is a lot of 
gently uh, Andersonian aesthetic to this movie. I'm thinking about things like those umbrellas that yeah. they walk around with. The scene where Billy is trying to run to the hospital, uh, you know, like the, the way it's shot, like it's kind of shot in a truck, like following mm-hmm. her along. Um, those kinds of moments, and even uh, when they're getting their picture taken, that really yes. surreal, like that really silly backdrop. Those are all, you know, in the best way, very Andersonian. And there's a a great slow motion shot towards the end where oh, yes. they're all walking and yeah. the uncle has got a smile on his face like he just you know yeah i pulled off the greatest heist in the world yeah and everyone else is just very various levels of distraught yeah and even that shot i was like oh that's it's, it's a wonderful shot but i could easily see something like that wes yeah. anderson maybe copying that for one of his films you know one of the things i going back to the farewell another one of the things that i really love that's a beautiful touch that if you're not really paying attention you'll miss it is did you notice that billy doesn't really have a change of clothes no i didn't she's wearing pretty much the same outfit the whole time even at the wedding like everybody is is in like suits and everything at the wedding and she's there in her gray t-shirt yeah she doesn't have anything too i know she, she doesn't have anything too flashy i remember yeah. at the wedding going you could have dressed up for the just wedding a little, but yeah. yeah i didn't realize yeah. that yeah the you know it's kind of one the of, same kind of muted of palette little, yeah, yeah the, one of those another way to just kind of understatedly you know point out that mm-hmm. she's just kind of making this work yeah is is like her wardrobe you know it, it, it's it, it's really telling um and, and i did love that no that that would make a great uh pairing i wanted to think about a movie i wanted to think about another movie that hinges on a lie and I went back to 2009. Uh, man, this movie's already 10 years old. Um, I thought about The Informant by Steven Soderbergh with Matt oh, Damon. Oh, Matt Damon, yes, yes. And he plays um, he plays some he plays a um, a corporate middle manager um, named Mark Whitaker, who is a compulsive liar, right? And who gets caught up in a, in a scheme of insider trading, and watching him at first seeming like he's actually going to be doing the right thing, but Mm -hmm. how much that is wrapped in lies that he tells other people, lies that he tells himself and how he just kind of can't seem to stop. It's another movie that this movie, of course, you know, like you are just watching deception after deception after deception. Mm -hmm. And it's wrapped in this really strange orange glow look um, that you can't kind of look away. There's music in this movie that actually that actually goes a long way into keeping us in it because it's yeah. very whimsical and whatnot. But at the center of it, you've got this really really damaged person who just can't kind of can't seem to stop. So I wanted to like I think it would make a great pairing because here you can see how a complete disregard for the truth can destroy a lot of things. Mm-hmm. Versus in the farewell, you know. It's not a disregard for the truth. It's actually a, a deep regard for the truth, but a willful turning of the back. Yeah, that's, that's actually a really good one because as you were talking, I started thinking about um, Shattered Glass mm-hmm. and how that would have fit into that as well. Yeah, I, I should have gone more the uh, <laughs> it's the, a, no, the, the deception route because I, I was thinking more of like just um, culture and and grandparents. But, I mean, that's yeah. but, there, but there's a lot in this movie that you can that you can pull for to make, and that's why I like doing this whole section of the podcast, right? Mm-hmm. Is there's all kinds of themes in a lot of these movies, and it's like, what else do you kind of to match them up with? Well, you do you do have at least one more, I'm sure. Yes, um, I'll go with the the sane one. That's okay. my last one. The sane. One. <laughs> I'll tell you my other one afterwards. Okay. Um, so I went with, um, on Golden Pond. 
Okay. I was thinking Princess Bride because <clears throat> of the grandfather, grandson, yeah, but yeah. you don't really, their connection is essentially just the reading of the story. Right. Whereas on Golden Pond, you have Jane Fonda bringing her, the son of the guy she's dating to stay with her parents. Right. So you've got this kind of makeshift grandparent, grandchild situation, even though they're not actually connected. Right. And through that, you start to see that the curmudgeon grandfather isn't really that bad of a guy. Um, there's issues with this film, but <laughs> it's just the way how the, the seemingly quote-unquote grandparents interact with the possible grandchild is very fascinating. And it also unravels some of the tension between Jane Fonda and her father. Right? Was it Henry Fonda in yeah. that film? Yeah. So just the tension that those two characters have. So there's a lot of different layers going on. I don't think it's a great film. Okay. I think The Farewell is better, personally. Right. Um, but if we're just talking about family complications, how the older generation has a huge impact on the younger generation, mm -hmm. then I think On Golden Pond is worth checking out. I've never seen it. I, it's, uh, it's, it's one of those ones, it's, it's a title that I've heard about forever. I mean, certainly as an Oscar watcher, it's a, mm -hmm. it's a movie that's got like multiple nominations and wins. Uh, you know, f from it, it of course got uh, Henry Fonda a trophy. It got Catherine Hepburn, I think, her final trophy. Mm. Um, and it was it was a movie that, like, you know, for for baby boomers was much bigger because it, yeah. because you know this is one of those films that was like Titanic back in 1981. Titanic, small T, not capital T, um, in 1981. <laughs> um, but just kind of like some of the movies we were talking about, like you know, like like The Informant and those kind and Muriel's Wedding kind of gets shuffled around in time and sort of forgotten as generation movie going generations mm -hmm. go on and kind of forget. Um, but I like what you bring up about the grandfather, like the grandparent grandchild relationship or surrogate grandchild relationship, because it brings out another side in people. I think when, when kids are around, I mean, sometimes it brings out the worst, Yeah, <laughs> you know, like a lot of times you see, kind of just a different side of them. You see a little bit more spark, a little bit more life. They can, they have like an outlet to, to channel some of mm -hmm. their, their passion into, some of their wisdom into. And it's not always explored in film quite as much. It kind of like film often tends to be parent-child. Yeah. Um, so seeing, yeah, seeing these two together would be incredible. And now, of course, I've got to see it because I never have. Um, I don't know if you've got to see on Golden Pond. I mean, but yeah, it's... There's no harm in seeing it. Yeah, it's kind of like, you yeah. know, I'm not going to, it's, it's, it's something I'd be watching on TV. So, mm -hmm. so there's not going to be like a deep level of investment or anything like that. Um, you know, I, I get to watch Catherine Hepburn for two hours. So yeah. That there's, there's the, the, the cast is great. Yeah. Everything is just, I don't know. I didn't love it. Right. The way a lot of people it's, see it. Is it, it probably, we were actually having a conversation about this on Twitter this week. Is it melodramatic? Yeah. But I mean, because I, yeah. I, I, I kind of like that. Actually, okay. you know, like I like well done melodrama. Mm -hmm. So we'll see how we'll see if it's well done melodrama or if it's just like badly aged melodrama. Um, my final other side, we actually mentioned it earlier on in the in the movie. Or sorry, in the podcast. Um, you know, you got to go to Death at a Funeral. The oh, yeah. 2007 version done by Frank Oz with the British cast with Matthew McFadden mm -hmm. and Rupert Graves and Andy Nyman. Um, 
like you said, death brings out the worst in people. You get a whole bunch of people back together and they just cannot behave. You know, yeah. you just, you just gotta, I mean, funerals in the West, they're not even a production. You know, 99 mm-hmm. times out of 100, it's one day and you're done. You know, unless, like, if you're, if you're Jewish and you're sitting Shiva, that's a different story. But generally speaking, it's one day, you're like a few days, and you're out. You just, you know, you just got to keep it together a little bit of time. But like you said, yeah, it, it seems hard. Um, death at a funeral takes all of that misbehaving, adds, it, adds in amazing levels of absurdity, and then Peter Dinklage comes into the fray <laughs> as the, the, the little person that the patriarch happened to be in love with that has now thrown everything for a loop. Yeah. Um, I think he was in the American one as he, well. He, yeah. You couldn't like, I mean, yeah. you could have recast it, but, um, you know, but they, but they chose not to. Mm-hmm. Um, you've seen that movie, of course. Yeah. The American one, um, is one of the few <laughs> remakes where it's not great. Right. But I thought it was going to be a total disaster. And I watched it going, eh, it's all right. But yeah, the British one is uh, definitely the one you have to see. And it's one that is endlessly replayable. Like, it, it, it hits the mark every single time. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's incredible. Um, okay, you know what? I just came up with one more, so I'm going to give you your last one. Yeah, my last one is really, it was a stretch. All right. And I was thinking more in terms of Americans coming to uh, a different culture and trying to, and realizing that you sometimes have to adapt to the ways of the culture. So I went Fast and Furious Tokyo Drift. Oh, for Christ's sake. Yes, I know. So, again, that's what I said. That's what I was going to (laughs) say. If you want a double feature experience where you have the emotion, the humor, and then you just want something to take your mind off the grief, you know, someone, (laughs) Tokyo Drift. You've got American... Who's bad boys sent to uh, Tokyo? Thinks that he can bring his American ways and run things, and finds out very quickly that the Japanese culture is completely different. And <laughs> even the conflict that he gets in to to resolve it, he must go to the top crime boss and, out of respect, do the drift racing the way that they would do it. You it's know, a stretch. You know, but, I, you know. I, I want to I, w- I want to see if I can uh, lease out uh, uh, Lightbox 3 or, or the Bloor Cinema and have you present this double feature because I want to hear you, you know, you do your introduction and, and connect. I, I will two. find a way to spin it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you know in The Farewell when they were riding in a taxi. Some would say uh, drift cars are like taxis. <laughs> Can people hear my head in my hands right now? I wonder. Um, Again, I told you it was a reach. But okay. Uh, well, one one that one last one that I thought of that is not as much of a reach, but I did think of just as I was speaking there, talking about how usually grieving is just a one or two day affair. Um, I thought about a movie from a few years ago that I think actually just kind of came and went, and nobody saw it um, in 2014. A movie called This Is Where I Leave You. Uh, this cast goes and goes and goes and goes. So dig. Jason Bateman, Tina Fey, Adam Driver, Rose Byrne, Corey Stoll, Connie Britton, Timothy Oliphant, Dax Shepard, and James, Jane Fonda. Um, the patriarch of the family dies, and the family has to come together to grieve. This is a Jewish family, so they have to sit Shiva for oh. about a week. Which, of course, you know, like I said, you usually just get them in there, 
get them out, you're okay. No, 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 you gotta hang out all together, all back in the, in the family home for a week and you're gonna watch all the drama that's going on across this very big family because there's at least, I wanna say there's at least three siblings. I think there's, sorry, there's four siblings and they're, you know, various plus ones mm -hmm. that all have their things going on all back under the same roof. And things go spectacularly sideways, but wrapped it, and I mean, it's, it's, I never really say that it's a very good movie. Like, this is a two and a half to three out of four movie, at best. Yes. But, there is a lot of interesting and, and honest things in it that, you know, th that I, I do appreciate and was really affected by, even though, you know, this is, again, this is not my culture. I, I you mm -hmm. know, my culture is not one that sits around for seven days grieving. Um, even though after I saw this, I'm like, this seems fascinating to me. I want to do this. And every, mm -hmm. all of my, every one of my Jewish friends is like, no, you really don't. It's re it really sucks. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, but that movie, as far as a family coming together in, in the light of death, um, is one that I think could go well. And I would actually, I would reverse them. I would show that movie first and then the farewell to say, okay, now let's see what happens when we do it right. This is when we did it kind of wrong and kind of had some interesting things, but mm -hmm. let's see when a storyteller as talented as Lulu Wang shows up and we do it right. Yeah, that's interesting because I, I had forgotten I'd seen that film. Uh, so I was looking up, I was like, wait, no, I did see this movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, from what I remember... Sprinklers go off. Yeah, from what I do remember, it was... I thought it was okay. Jane Fonda's is hiding a secret. Yeah, it was... There's a lot of interesting moments in it. Yes. I think um, some of the, the humor that they try to employ is a bit of a stretch. A little bit. Uh, but the premise was interesting. And as you said, it does bring you insight into a type of grieving that a lot of us aren't familiar with. Yeah. And that's always, anytime you can walk away from a movie learning something. Yeah. That's always good. Yeah, definitely. That is a lot of movies on episode 228 of the Matinee cast. And I'm so thankful that Courtney Small was able to come by. Come on back on Monday, August 12th for episode 229. We will be discussing The Kitchen. Uh, Courtney, of course, can be found at cinemaaccess.com uh, and the podcast projects that he has on there. What, so what's coming up that people can look forward to? That you have a, written about The Farewell. I should tell people that... Yeah, there's things. a review of The Farewell. Um, there's probably going to be one of the Tarantino one by the time this goes up. Yep. Uh, I've been thinking a lot about that over mm -hmm. the last couple of days. And I think Frameline kicks back up in August. Nice. Just before TIFF starts. Right. And you, of course, will be sending... Like, you'll be doing like dispatches from TIFF. Yeah that i look forward to my invitation oh, definitely uh, <laughs> where can people find you on twitter if they want to follow you? uh at small mind very nice my site is the matinee.ca for more audio content you can find back episodes by going to the matinee.ca slash podcasting you can also find them on uh, spotify stitcher radio blueberry uh whatever apple has done to their podcasting platform these days um everywhere you find a podcast you can find it and subscribe for free and if you don't find it wherever you use uh podcast subscriptions let me know i'll put it there uh feedback on Farewell can be left in the comment section of the site. You can email Ryan at matinee.ca, Twitter, where I'm matinee underscore CA, or Facebook.com slash darkmatinee. Any final thoughts, buddy? No, I think it was good. I mean, when you're talking about a film like The Farewell, you just got to tell people to go see it. You know, I, I should tell people you're here, like, dressed uh, in quite a bit of Raptors gear, and you're kind of... You're, it's, it's a bittersweet moment because I'm thinking in my head like that was a wonderful season but I really just don't have much hope for the season ahead it's a I strange have place to be plenty in plenty of hope okay <laughs> partly because we, we lost a key piece of the team we did 
but we've still got a solid team. Oh, we do. And the NBA is wide open this year. Yes, it is. So that's a, that, that is a good point for 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 all of the moves that have happened. No, certainly no one East team this year has gone mm-hmm. and got immensely better. So as long as they can just play their game, yeah, they, and, and now play their game the way they know they can play their game, they can play at top level. They show they've got the the grit, and even if they don't succeed this season, you've still got the glow of the championship, yeah, which is going to last in this city for like five years at least. And at the end of next season, or this coming season, they're going to have a lot of money, yeah, and there's going to be a lot of good free agents. Yeah. So all right. All right. I like it. You, you you've uh, you've restocked my hope. I like it. Thank you very mm-hmm. much for Courtney. I'm Ryan. We'll see you at the next. Meeting.